Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Nice to see you. A lot of friends here and a lot of new friends. Uh, we're going to talk about a documentary film we made, uh, Bringing Godzilla Down to Size. Uh, it was, uh, excuse me, I'm a little out of breath. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it was released in 2008, yes. shot in the summer of 2007, uh, uh, entirely in Japan. And uh, we made it for a company called Classic Media with Toho's Blessing. And uh, it was released on DVD. It was buried on the uh, Rodan and War of the Gargantuas DVD set a few years ago. Originally, there were plans for uh, a bigger release that would have given it more exposure, I think. Uh, one, one thing I'd like, before we start sure. here, how many of you seen, how right. many people in the audience have seen the film? How many have not? Excellent. Because uh, actually, you know, for those of you who have not you know, the, as Steve said, the, this film has been released on DVD as part of the Rodan and War of the Gargantua set, if you can find that. It's on but, YouTube as well. Yeah, but if not, uh, we are very hopeful that it's going to have a secondary release on right. video in the very, very near future. Maybe within the next few days there'll be an announcement on it. Okay. Uh, not much more that I think we can say about it than that okay. right now. But, but anyway, well, so please continue. Well, the thing I was just going to say is that, uh, and I'm, I'm glad some of you have seen it, and I'm also glad some of you have not. We're not, we're not going to play the whole film. We're going to play some key segments from it and talk a little bit about uh, how we uh, found ourselves in the, uh, the lucky position to be able to make something like this and then how we uh, went about doing it. And, uh, and one of the things that's always frustrated me is that uh, other than you know, screening in a film festival in Los Angeles, and uh, I think it played at Fantasia one year. Is that right? Yes. Which I didn't, I wasn't there, but you were. Um, yes. And, uh, but the thing has kind of been buried. You know, even when it was released on video, it was kind of not uh, really touted on the packaging. Uh, originally, okay. it was part of something that was going to be very special a box set of Godzilla films, which you may have bought, or maybe some of you may have it in your possession, the classic media set. But it was supposed to be part of that, and there was going to be a, a really uh, kick ass uh, disc on there with some extra features, which this would be part of, but it didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah. uh, it kind of got buried, but we're thinking that uh, hopefully in the near future it'll be unburied because even after all these years, we still think the film is kind of unique and we're really proud of what we were able to achieve with it. Well, I think to, uh, before we get into like how this thing really came about, let's uh, introduce you to the opening of the film. And this version is a version that actually we were not allowed to release on the disc. It has some scenes that Toho said, well, you're actually modifying some of our footage and we won't allow you to do that. So we had to kind of edit around it. But uh, this is what uh, we originally submitted. It has a little bit of these uh, insert scenes in it. So hopefully, you know, even for those of you who have seen the film, uh, you'll see a little bit uh, something different that's in here. 
And let's hope that Does this sound works. Work? Well, I don't know if the sound, I mean, it's HDMI, so sound should come together with the video, should Very it not? Yeah. So let's start it up. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, what we're going to watch. And uh, so this is the cold open, the, uh, basically what we also would uh, later cut out and use as a trailer. But we're also going to watch like the, a minute or two after that, the, the kind of preamble to the film that sets up the themes. Uh, what we tried to do with this film was not just, we were very conscious of not just trying to do another uh, history of the Godzilla series. Uh, of course, that's kind of the backbone of it. But what we're really trying to do is tell the story of uh, the art of Japanese special effects through the, the voices of the people who actually made those effects. And to not just talk about how they did certain things, although that's part of it, but really more about their, uh, there's a line in the opening, the passion that inspires them. It's really about the lifestyle of these people and the craft that they developed uh, over the years and how they've tried to preserve it. So the sort of overarching theme of the film is this handmade effects, handmade filmmaking tradition, and starting with Eiji Tsuburaya and going through the years and through successive generations, and how that handmade method, how those handmade methods uh, came to collide with digital techniques, and how that, you know, changed the future of this of this genre and of these techniques, and uh, these some of these effects craftsmen talk in the film about how they really wish for a, you know to that they could preserve and and uh, pass this on to future generations of filmmakers but it's colliding with this new reality why don't we talk while uh, while you're doing that and and, and I'll bore these people to tears but until shortly after World War II was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Time and again, this thriving metropolis has become a smoldering memorial to the unknown, an unknown that still prevailed and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction. Godzilla attacked Tokyo for the first time in 1954 in the sci-fi classic Godzilla. More than a blockbuster, and more than the birth of a pop culture icon, Gojira was a new kind of monster movie, a new genre with a distinct Japanese look and feel. Japanese special effects movies create an alternate reality where giant monsters are an everyday fact of life. The heart and soul of this alternate reality is the technique of miniaturization, the highly detailed construction of scale models of cities, landscapes, vehicles, and of course, the world-famous man in a monster suit. These classic handmade methods, invented long before modern digital technology, are the building blocks of the fantasy world where Japan's giant monsters reign supreme. The people who bring this world to life are skilled artists and craftsmen. For more than 50 years, they've labored behind the scenes, creating and maintaining the legacy of Japanese science fiction and fantasy cinema. This is the story of a filmmaking tradition, the people who carry it on, and the passion that inspires them. Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, 
King Ghidorah. These and many other monsters are just part of the long history of Japanese special effects. Where did it all begin? In the mind of a creative young filmmaker, long before the birth of Godzilla, during the silent movie era, in the early days of Japanese cinema. You can see we have a, a rogues gallery of G-Fest guests, past and present, in our <laughs> film. Um, so that's kind of the setup, uh, giving you the, the theme of what this film is really about. And um, why don't we talk for just a minute about how we got into ourselves into a position to be even able to make something yes. like this. Because, I mean, as you can imagine, it was a dream project. Oh, yeah. um, we had been working together. We'd known each other for 10 or 15 years by, by then, but we'd been working on a number of different projects for different video companies. And then when we got into, into the position to work for Classic Media, uh, at one point they came up with this idea that they wanted a big set of special effects for a, a disc that was going to be in that box set. And we started pitching things. And we had talked about a documentary before, but there were a couple of things that kind of came together that formed the idea. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. again, you know, when, when we were pitching all these ideas, I mean, we had lots of different things that we were talking about possibly uh, putting on, on the the special disc, and of course, one of them was this documentary. And uh, you know, it, I think that was probably this was the least likely thing that we thought that they would approve. Oh, yeah. because it was by far the, the most ambitious yeah. uh, piece, yeah. and it cost the most. And yeah. Yeah. we knew by that point. See what had happened a few years before this. Uh, Yasuyuki Inoue, who was uh, Eiji Tsuburaya's art director, had come to Los Angeles and was the guest of honor yeah. at a, a film festival for the, the 50th anniversary. And that's when Ed and I got to know him and started to understand how important he was in the history of this genre and how, what a key figure he was. So his name came up in our conversations right away right. that we kind of wanted to build the film, or at least partly, yeah. around him and his story and make it more about this, this culture of uh, handmade special effects filmmaking. Yeah, yeah uh, and I, after we had met him in, in Los Angeles, I had the, the good fortune during some of my business trips uh, the following couple of years to go and visit him and I could uh, talk to him and his staff, see an awful lot of the actual design drawings and uh, artwork that was done to create these films. So I really got a really strong sense of what he was like and the people who worked for him. And it really seemed like there's a story here that we could tell. And at and the same... And a story that really hadn't been told. Yeah, and, and, new, and, and really, in, even in Japan, these guys were very, virtually unknown. I mean, they were actually delighted that someone uh, such as myself and, and Oki Miyano, who helped introduce me to Mr. Inoue, that, that anybody would you know, take interest in, in what their work was. So you know, they, we had a very willing subject, and we had a good subject that could serve as a start. And again, as Steve said, you know, we didn't want to do the same old thing, which is, oh, here's the history of Godzilla. You know, it's been done a hundred times. So take a different angle, and it was like not create, uh, make a film about Godzilla, but about the world in which Godzilla exists. And to do that, we had the, you know a very good key figure who could serve as the kind of like uh, central. Uh, point to anchor the whole film around, which is Mr. Inoue and his staff, and you could get it. We could, you know, we tried to pull out from them, you know, a sense of uh, the kind of dedication and uh, real hard work and craftsmanship that went into these films, you know, to try and counter the, the very public perception, you know, that you know, kind of permeates the, the general audience here, like, oh, these films are crap and they're really low budget and nobody really cared that, you know, they're just, just cheaply made junk. 
And really, you talk to these guys, and, and it's the, that's the farthest thing from what was really happening at the time. These guys really took it seriously. They put their hearts and souls into it, and I really mean that seriously. They really put everything that they had into these jobs to make these films as good as they could. And I think it, it just kind of speaks to the, the basic craft of the Japanese special effects, which is really trying to make something out of nothing because they were given almost nothing in terms of budget and resources. And it's the creativity of these people who we try and feature in this film that really bring you know, these films to life. And I think it, you know, what we were hoping uh, we could do in this film is to show that, you know, give that impression to the audience and let them understand how really deeply these people cared and, and, and what this craft is really all about. There were, so there were a couple of things that uh, kind of came together. One was uh, uh, us meeting Mr. Inoue a couple of years before this happened. Uh, the, and classic media, their Godzilla business was kind of booming, at least at first. So they felt, uh, that at least in this brief window of time, that they could spend the money on something like this. And so as we developed the idea, the and from a practical standpoint, I wanted to say as well, uh, kind of framing the uh, the story around Mr. Inoue and around this craft of filmmaking made sense as well because if you wanted to tell another version of the history of Godzilla, then you're you're talking about incorporating a lot of film clips. And as we found out in the budgeting process, the film clips were the most expensive part of the budget. So that we actually took film clips. We had what it was how many seconds from each film that we used? Uh, uh, we had a finite 30, 30, yeah, thirty seconds. I think thirty. I we had we were able to afford thirty seconds from each of the classic media titles, uh, give or take, and our creative editor would stretch them out. Sometimes oh, yeah. he slowed things down and reuse certain things in creative ways to maximize uh, the, the expenditure on that. But uh, so, so from a practical standpoint, it made sense as well. And the, the other part of it was, how the hell are we going to shoot this thing? How do we, you know, neither one <laughs> yeah. of us, I had some, you know, experience in film, but not, certainly not shooting in Japan and not much. And, uh, and it was more from a writing uh, perspective anyway. And both of us have been friends with Norman for Norman England for a long time. And Norman had recently kind of ventured out from the world of writing into filmmaking. He had uh, gotten to know a lot of people in the filmmaking world as a film journalist. Uh, he had spent a lot of time on the sets of Tokusatsu films, writing for Fangoria and other publications. And he really like soaked up. Every, he learned so much just by being there. And he's a very inquisitive and smart person. So, and he got to know the right people. And he ended up making this film. Uh, it's either a long form short or a short form feature, but it's called The Idol. And it played in some film festivals and whatnot. It's a really clever kind of satire of otaku culture. And uh, so he was, I, I don't, had he made another film after The Idol at this point? Well, he had made a couple other short, short private films for himself. But, but anyway, but but basically, yeah, he was a filmmaker and basically had the credits as a filmmaker in Japan. And right. So we kind of presented the idea to him. And he, of course, jumped at it. And he also helped us uh, with the development of the pitch proposal. Uh, we had one at that point, but he helped refine it and really zero in on some of the themes. So that was really helpful, too. And, and the, the pitch was accepted. It, uh, we got the film funded uh, from Classic Media with Toho's blessing. Uh, the budget was, what? 50000 50, tops, right? Yeah. Right. And, uh, and that included, uh, you know, 
the shooting it entirely in Japan that and the crew, everything was professional. So everybody, this isn't like a fan project where we're you know uh, shooting things with a camcorder. We had had a professional crew. It was shot at uh, 720, I think. At that point, that yeah. was HD. You know, pretty good at that point. Uh, we hired a crew that most mostly people, all people that Norma had worked with. And uh, we had a, a unit production manager and location manager who also served as our on-set yeah. interpreter, uh, who was amazing. Uh, and we had um, our camera guy, sound guy, everybody was just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, this, this particular photo, this was the first day that we, uh, after we arrived in Japan, this is... This is the place that we actually rented out for the week for that right, we were our, staying in. <laughs> and Nor our Norman, production yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah, Norman is up there, uh, you know, basically putting. To, we're trying to put together the the plan for how we're going to shoot this during the week. The cameraman Hiro uh, on the bed. You can't really see her, but it's Joko, our uh, production manager. Uh, Jr. Lipertito is uh, was one of the the camera guys working with us. Um, yeah, we had we had not only a really terrific staff that Norman had assembled from you know all basically all people professionals in uh, in Japan who would you know, work on this this project with us, and you know, I have to say that you know we got this film done. We we were given fifty thousand dollars to do it. My one of my friends who uh, makes documentaries for a living for uh, Discovery Channel and a few other of the, the educational channels was absolutely astonished that we got it made for that because yeah. he said this is it's like you know four or five hundred thousand uh, dollar film in terms of production value but yeah you know, the point of saying that is that all the people that we got involved with this they worked at, at really a, truly a fraction of what they normally would take to to work on a project like this but everybody really believed you know that in this particular uh, subject that we were attacking and and they were all really like sincere and wanting to see this thing succeed and so we got a heck of a lot more effort out of this uh, and there are no and, teamsters and in japan yeah right you know we got we got so much more value on the screen for a fraction of the cost basically because so many people really, you know, bought into this project and, and right. enjoyed it so much. Even the the talent, such as Mr. Takarada here, I mean, in in Japan, basically, uh, when you're working on a project like this, uh, the the talent doesn't do this just for free. Uh, you know, they're they're all expecting some kind of stipend to, uh, you know, for appearing in these kind of projects, and you know, even even the uh, professionals. Uh, both the production guys as well as the actors, they all again took you know almost virtually nothing compared to what they would normally take for a project of this status. And there were other people who heard about what we were working on and and wanted to be in it. Like Shiro Sano, the actor, was really enthusiastic. He was not originally on our list of interviews, but he he knew Norman and he he kind of warmed his way into the project. He really <laughs> wanted to be part of it. And uh, Ko Otani, the composer, also uh, yeah. lent his. He, we didn't. I don't believe we reached out to him directly so much as no, he actually, heard about yeah. what was going on. And yeah, wanted yeah. To be well, part Nor of it. Norman was very good friends with Ko as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, was, it was Norman's idea to see if, if Mr. Otani would you know, compose a score for us for the film. And you know, he did it, again, for a fraction for of a fraction. what he would normally... And the score uh, is amazing, take. and it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's very traditional in some ways and also uh, has some new ideas in it, but it's a, like a tribute to the classic yeah. era kaiju music. So there was this period after we got the, the budget approved, uh, and we had uh, we had what about two or three months there. There was a period during which we basically finalized all the preparations. By the time 
Ed and I went to Japan for the shoot, uh, all the interviews had been lined up, uh, and yeah. all the locations had been scouted and, and decided. We had, you know, obtained yeah. per that permission to film in, like, for instance, the, the, uh, we interviewed Akira Tsuburaya at his offices, so we got some atmosphere there. We interviewed... Um, Takashi Yagi right here right, at, at, at Tsuburaya Productions. Productions. We yeah. shot there, and... Um, and then there was another wonderful location. Uh, one of the things that also kind of came uh, out organically, we were originally planning to interview Mr. Inoue and his art staff, the, the members of his art staff, uh, at Inoue's house. He had a, he, he went, after he retired from Toho, he continued to work and he ran his own kind of effects business out of a workshop on his property near in the back of his house. And we were going to interview these fellows there, but what ended up happening was that they, essentially volunteered to do an effects demonstration for us in front of the camera, and uh, we're going to show you that today. Um, that'll be one of the, the clips that we'll share with you. And, um, and in meanwhile, we were developing a script, or at least the template for what could become a script. You don't really have the actual... Some people have asked me, like, why would you need a script to, write, to, to, to film a documentary? Uh, Basically because it, you're going to have hundreds of hours of footage and you don't want to just turn this all over to your editor and hope something good comes out of it. We actually had a, by the time our editor went to work, we had pretty much uh, down to the letter a script uh, basically called from all of these interviews and you know splicing together the, the, the quotes and the different pieces of it into a, a story, into the story that we wanted to tell. Um, but. And prior to, to leaving for Japan, we, had, we were well prepared for all the interviews. Uh, Junko, uh, she, uh, Joko actually yeah. performed the interviews on set, but uh, working from you know, questions that we had prepared. Right. What do we want to show next? Well, I think probably, uh, considering the way the slideshow was running along, the, uh, this is the section that has to do with the suit actors, and probably one of the, the sections of the film that we get the most comments on uh, is the section that we put in about the suit actors. So if I can uh, make this And the this suit maker. Work, yeah, yes. So if I can make this work, we'll uh, watch that footage as well. Okay. So, let's see. The, the story we tell in the film is basically linear, but this section kind of busts out in the middle and kind of tells its own, you know, chapter uh, as kind of a sidebar to the to the main story of the uh, the culture of special effects, because these guys really have they do not only live inside the suit but they live inside their own their own world. I mean nobody there's nobody like them, and they share this common bond of having you know experienced uh, what it's like to to work inside the suit. So not only do they tell their personal stories, but that you can also get a real sense of the camaraderie between the yeah. three generations of of suit actors here. Yes. Okay, here we go. Very few people have what it takes to play the world's greatest monster. It takes fearlessness, determination, pride, and physical and mental endurance. In May 2007, three generations of Godzilla gathered in Tokyo for the first time. These men are the elite members of an exclusive group of stunt actors chosen to wear the Godzilla suit. Chosen because, above all others, they had the right stuff. Haruo Nakajima is the original Godzilla. He played the monster in 12 movies, more than any other actor. 
Nakajima also played many other creatures, including Rodan and Gaila, the green gargantua. Kenpachiro Satsuma began his monster acting career by playing Godzilla's opponents, Hedora and Gaigan, in the 1970s. From 1984 to 1995, Satsuma's work inside the Godzilla suit helped restore Godzilla's image as a force of destruction. Tom Kitagawa grew up watching Japanese monsters and superheroes and dreamed of becoming a monster suit actor. Beginning with Godzilla 2000, Kitagawa has played Godzilla five times. Their office is the meticulously constructed miniature set, and their job is to turn these works of art to rubble. Playing the king of the monsters is an honor, but it's no easy task. This crown comes with all sorts of occupational hazards. Over time, improvements were made. Godzilla looked more realistic and moved more realistically. But the process known as suitmation remains largely unchanged. Shinichi Wakasa and his company, Monsters Incorporated, gave Godzilla a complete makeover for Godzilla 2000. Since Godzilla 2000, Wakasa has created the monster suits for almost every Godzilla movie. I just, watching this again, it's the first time I've watched it in a while, and uh, I just want to say how fortunate we were and how important it is to have an excellent editor on your team. Uh, our editor, Yasu, uh, was way more talented than, than we even knew going into this. Uh, he's since then gone on to direct, or I'm sorry, I think he's directed some stuff too, but yeah. he's, also, he's edited a number of... Uh, feature films and, and other projects. He's he's a really talented guy. In the cold open that we showed you earlier, it was it was really. I mean, he was a wizard at After Effects. And one thing I would say is that you know, documentary filming filmmaking has come along such, uh, it's come such a long way in recent decades. And even though this is kind of an old-fashioned type of documentary with talking heads, I really don't feel that it looks all that dated in large part because of the things that Yasu did. Like in the cold opening, it was his idea to kind of fuse some of the, the footage with uh, the real life landmarks and kind of you know compare and contrast the past and present. Uh, he came up with all the little transitions with the lightning bolts and the, the flames behind uh, the, each speaker's name and the, uh, the flames that go across the screen during certain transitions. And, uh, and also, you know, a lot of the stuff was on paper, but for instance, like when Nakajima's talking about getting hit with rockets and then it's cross-cut with the, uh, the footage of Godzilla getting shot in the mouth and falling over. I mean, it was really him, like, inserting those punchlines and those laugh yeah. moments. And it's really wonderful to have someone like that on your team. Yes. Okay. Well, Do we want to talk about uh, how we chose some of the people that we wanted to interview? Because we have not only special effects yeah. people in this yeah. film, but Mr. Takarada is in the film, and Hiroshi Koizumi, the actor, is in the film. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Mr. Sano. Uh, Shusuke Kaneko is in the film. Mr. Tsuchiya is in the film. Mm -hmm. I, I'm especially glad that we were interviewing people like Koizumi and Tsuchiya because they're now yeah. no longer with us and yes. we have their stories. But not only would, you know, we wanted to put some recognizable faces into the picture to give it a little bit of, I don't know, star quality, but also Takarada was somebody who could really tell that story of the connection between Godzilla and the atomic bomb, because it's something he speaks very, very, uh, very eloquently about. 
And Mr. Koizumi, for instance, had been in films with the Peanuts, playing you know opposite uh, the the tiny twin fairy. So he was able mm-hmm. to give us a little bit of the insight onto how scenes like that were created. Yeah, and, yeah. Actors actors in general are storytellers. Right. You know, that's that's their craft. So they're they're very good at at uh, you know show, having a presence on camera and being able to tell a story. Uh, so that that really helped, you know, add a little something extra to the film because you know when you're talking to technical guys, they're not really necessarily so comfortable in 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 telling stories or being you know performing before the camera. So it kind of helps us to get a little you know, mixture of of styles in the in the documentary. And in addition, one of the things that at the time that we were thought we were going to be able to do was to add additional content to this special box set. So in interviewing the actors, you know, we were also looking to have and get enough footage that we could also release uh, on like uh, Monster Zero on that disc that you know we'd have an inter- you know part of the interview with Takarada and uh, one with Koizumi on, say, Godzilla vs. the Thing. Yes, in other words, there was uh, also the hope that we had of, of additional content that we could have released, but as it turned out, uh, you know, the, a change in management at Classic Media kind of really threw a lot of those plans uh, for a loop, and we didn't get to do uh, some of the things that we had hoped to do. Uh, Mr. Kaneko is in the film, and... Um uh, one of the things I, I wish we didn't we don't have his quote here, but I mean everybody spoke so eloquently about this genre, and I loved the, his quote about uh, he, the way he expressed the the notion of realism in these films. It yeah. was very eloquently stated. Um, do we want to play the last clip? Uh, well, want to do that before or after setting it up? Well, well, we'll yeah, yeah the, the the last you know we have one more clip that we're going to show you. And this is the practical demonstration. And you know, the, the one thing that's it's really kind of amazing is, okay, we had scheduled a day of filming at Mr. Inoue's uh, workshop where he had you know, cabinets full of all these amazing pieces of artwork, things that they had dug out of store. You know, that I, basically, you know, Mr. Inoue and his guys, they, you know, this was just like, part of their past. Nobody had really expressed any interest in it. So a lot of this stuff was just sitting in boxes uh, in, the, in the bottom of the workshop. And some of the stuff was in, in, in his, uh, his uh, meeting room in cabinets. But once uh, Oki and, and I started visiting, they realized, hey, maybe somebody's interested in seeing this stuff. And they started pulling stuff out of storage, some of the you know, amazing things that, that they wound up pulling out. Some of it, unfortunately, had been like chewed away by mice and that, but you know it was still at least rescued from storage, and and uh, so you know there was a lot of things that were brought out uh, for uh, for this film that probably wouldn't have uh, ever been shown if it, if it wasn't for the fact that we had been uh, you know showing this interest in them, and so when when we it came time to actually film with them, you know we again we 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 set it up for a full day. And Inoue and his uh, support staff guys are the ones that suggested, hey, why don't we just do something else in addition to talking to you? Let's actually show you what, you know, something that we used to do, we would do. And they picked an effect from the film Latitude Zero, which a similar effect also appears in Atragon, uh, of an, exp- uh, an explosion that takes place underwater and, and shoots, you know, all sorts of smoke and, and debris into the air. And that was always been done in a very simple, uh, old-fashioned way, but very effective. And, uh, and 
you know, that's the, the final clip that we're going to show you here, how these guys got together to do it. And then after, after it's done, actually, I have a couple more comments I'd like to make about the clip. But let me and, see if I again, can. Again, we've lost in recent years some of these folks. So Mr. Yeah. Inoue is gone. Yes. Uh, Mr. Uh, is Mr. Sasaki still with us? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Aoki. Oh, Mr. Aoki yeah, just, Aoki passed. Passed, just passed. Mr. Away. Aoki uh, is, he, he was, they were all so wonderful. Mr. Aoki, one of the, my favorite yeah. moments in the film is when he demonstrates how the little trees on the uh, set, yeah. uh, the forest set of War of the Gargantuas were, were made. When Ed would bring, I only, I had never, I'd met Mr. Inoue in Los Angeles, but Ed works for a Japanese company and, and goes back and forth to Japan a number of times a year, and he was meeting, as he said, with Mr. Inoue and his art staff guys, and he would bring back these production drawings from Son of Godzilla and Godzilla versus Hedera and all these other films, and I was just amazed because this was, again, stuff yeah. that nobody had ever seen before. So you get a glimpse of a lot of the stuff in uh, Inoue's workshop and also some of the, the photos on the walls of, uh, from his career. It's pretty fascinating. Today, the golden years of Toho's special effects films are only a memory. But even as technology leaps forward, there are people who are still passionate about doing things the old way, by hand. Ebina City, on the outskirts of Tokyo. It looks like an ordinary house on an ordinary street, but this is the home and workshop of art director Yasuyuki Inoue. Inside these walls, the history of Japanese special effects comes alive. From the drafting room, full of artifacts from Inoue's long career as a production designer, of the trade are stored, and where Inoue continued to create miniatures, monster suits, and other special effects for films and TV shows until he retired in 2003. On this day, four generations of special effects designers, technicians, and craftsmen have united here in this workshop. Together, they will turn back the clock and revisit the atmosphere of Toho's vintage science fiction and fantasy productions. With traditional tools and materials similar to those used in Eiji Tsuburaya's era, Yasuyuki Inoue and his crew will recreate the eruption of an undersea volcano from the 1969 film Latitude Zero. Several colors of paint will be dropped into a large water tank. As the paint spreads out in the water, it creates the illusion of smoke rising in the air. The camera is placed in front of the water tank for filming. Later, the image will be turned upside down, so the smoke appears to rise. A small household fan is used to create ocean waves. It's almost time to shoot. But first, the crew makes a test run in a small water tank. It's been years since many of them have retired. But these special effects artists still have a strong creative spirit. With Yasuyuki Inoue directing the action, all four generations work together, making the final preparations. The director carefully reviews his work on the video monitor. Uh, we were also really fortunate to uh, 
get the services of Alex Cox, the uh, British uh, independent filmmaker, Sid and Nancy, Repo Man, etc., uh, to narrate the film. And um, that was quite uh, a stroke of luck and a little bit of accidental. He was coming through L.A. on um, uh, for the AFI Film Festival. He had a film in, in the festival that year. And we had been rejected by uh, some people whose names so remain... <laughs> nameless and uh, and, and we, it was actually difficult too because you know we wanted a name person but we didn't have a lot of money and some the, some of the people we talked to wanted more money than we had and then we tried some you know just regular actors and stuff and then I knew that Alex had been in the um, the BFI uh, or is it the uh, BBC documentary that was made uh, around BBC, 1998 yeah. and uh, and we knew that he had tried to make a Godzilla film and that he was a real enthusiast of this genre and so I approached him at the, after the screening of his film and just kind of pitched the idea to him. And he said, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> and I was uh, dreading the answer because I couldn't pay him that much. But he said, okay, you know, and uh, he did it. And uh, he recorded at a little recording place up near where he lives in Ashland, Oregon. And uh, we did it all remotely, and it came out great. And we get a lot of comments about his narration. It seems to give it a, you know, an air of uh, authority and class. So, yeah. And he knows how to pronounce all the names too. Yes, which he is, does. Well, it took a little little coaching for some of the yeah. words, but he mostly did all right. And here's some scenes. Oh, from, yeah. uh, <laughs> this was a, when we went to film Akira Tsuburaya at his office. Uh, he had a dummy of his father sitting in the corner of the office. There, it, was, it wasn't creepy at all. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it's not like your dad is looking at you all day. <laughs> but yeah, it was very disturbing, actually. How are we doing on time, by the way? Uh, five more minutes. Okay. But, and, I mean, and, uh, this is the last session, so I think we can run over. If, oh, okay, okay. I, I just wanted, we mentioned earlier so. that, uh, you know, some things kind of happened by accident, and that for certain yes. people, you know, kind of not wandered into the movie, but, you know, heard about what we were doing and asked to participate in one way or another. One thing that happened here at uh, yes. Tsuburaya Dream Factory was that we met this gentleman, uh, Ryuji Honda, who uh, we ended up interviewing on the spot. Ryuji Honda, we've told this story before, so forgive us, uh, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, obviously, but um, we were, Ed and I were in the background, uh, you know, watching the interview with Akira Tsuburaya being filmed when this gentleman walked into the office, and one of the things I remember about this experience is that, you know, while we were filming in their offices, this is a film production company, mind you, a lot of the other employees in the office were opening drawers, slamming drawers, talking, you know, working on their computer keyboards really loud, and we couldn't shush them, you know, we're guests, but I thought it was a little strange that they were, it's their boss being interviewed, and they really, you know, were going about their business like any other normal day. Well, this gentleman walked in with his uh, his backpack or whatever, and he went and sat down at his off his desk. But when he saw that we were shooting something, he was uh, very careful to be quiet and uh, to put his things away very carefully. I mean, he really was uh, very um, uh, you know he, mindful of what was going on. And after the interview with the Kiritsuburaya concluded, he said, "Oh, you know." And then and, and I both were looking at this guy like we we recognized him, but we didn't know who he was. But it's because he's the spinning image of his dad. <laughs> and Akira said, "You know, you should. That's." Uh, Cheryl Honda's son, you should interview him. And we did, and not only that, afterwards we spent uh, some time talking to him, and out of that conversation came a friendship and eventually the book that we wrote about Cheryl Honda. Yeah. Here's uh, 
Mr. Suchia. Yeah, one of the days we had our production manager arranged for us to film in a social center in, in just like in, in a neighborhood in Tokyo, and it really was a kind of a nice setting that we could use to give contrast to you know some of the other places that we had been filming around, and this had much more of a, a theater atmosphere to it and of course you know we so we set Mr. Tsuchiya up on the director's chair in front of the curtain there and and as as he's uh, wont to do he, he always give, gives a very enthusiastic and broad performance uh, he was really he was really a lot of fun to talk to and uh, actually uh, when Mr. Koizumi he came he was next after Tsuchiya and and the two of them saw each other probably for the first time in I don't know maybe 20 or 30 years uh, I, I remember really well, uh, as soon as Koizumi saw Tsuchiya coming, he says, ah, Matango. Because, <laughs> you know, they, they worked together on that film. And, and you know, so they, they had kind of a little bit of a reunion when, uh, when it came time to do the, the film. So they, they were quite happy to, to touch base with each other. This is Nor our director, Norman, with both uh, gentlemen. So anyway, that, uh, you know, this was... This was uh, what is that? What was I? I forgot I was going to say. Well, but oh, anyway, I, I guess you know myself. I, I wanted to go back to the demonstration for a minute because you know, when, uh, I, th I, th I hope you get a, a, some sense of the fact that uh, how you know, in in many ways, it's so low tech. What these you know, some of the effects that they put together, but it's very creative. Mm -hmm. And you know, these guys really, especially Mr. Inoue and, and his direct staff who had long been retired from this business, when they got a chance to do this, you, you can imagine how enthusiastic they were about doing this. It was just like it was 30, 40 years earlier and they were in their prime and doing this stuff, running around, making sure they're you know, mixing the paints and making sure the lighting is correct and the, the backdrop painting was set up correctly. You re the, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost kind of corny, but really you felt that, that energy and atmosphere of what it was like to be in a studio maybe 40 years ago back at Toho. It was really a, a special thing. I, I'll never forget that. that uh, I was so glad that we could be there to experience that because I really kind of felt that uh, very strongly from these guys. And, and I thought we got you know, some terrific footage out of it too. It, it, it really is an amazing thing. And, and that effect, as simple as it is, I mean, that's actually also a staple effect in Hollywood. I mean, if you've seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for example, you know, that, that whole cloud uh, sequence where the clouds circle the Devil's Tower, that's done exactly the same way as this effect was done. Some people you know, over the years have commented to me uh, about the film that they felt like it was a little anti-digital, anti-CGI, and I don't think it's that at all. It's just that uh, this film is really about a culture that was you know, in a period of transition and continues to be in a period of transition. There are still people who would like to continue to make films this way, but for a lot of different reasons, it's you know, becoming less and less... Uh, possible uh, to do it this way. I mean, the, the, the audience expectations have changed, uh, and technology has gotten to the point where it's so good uh, that um, you know some people just don't want to turn back the clock. Um, so that it were really it, our you know viewpoint as the producers of the film wasn't that we were you know bad mouthing or you know CGI or anything, no. and we we're really letting these people tell the story of change in their own words. I mean, they've they've. I think they were sad because it, this is, in some ways, 
you know, an elegy. It's a, you know, a recognition that, that this, this is changing. There's a, a, uh, a piece in the film, a segment where we interviewed Mr. Tomiyama, the yeah. producer, and he talks about the future and what he predicts would happen. And this is some years, of course, be before Shin Godzilla, but uh, he's talking about how he hopes that the old methods and the new methods can come to coexist. But as we have seen, uh, it's not really the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do we, does anybody, do you want to, do you want to open up to yeah, questions? Yeah, if, if yeah. people want to have questions or comments, mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah, no, well, well, yeah, for this film, I mean, we're, we're very much limited on what we could do. I mean, of course, we'd like to have gotten, uh, you know, like Yoshida to get involved in this too, but, you know, we, we had a very, very limited budget, and trust me, there's, you know, I, I, I remember really well our editor, after we finished the, the last day of filming, he said, uh, you know, I'm sure when we put the first version of this film together, you're gonna have a four-hour film. And I kind of laughed at him, like, oh, come on. You know, and sure enough, when we put the first version together, at least in terms of the, the script, mm -hmm. it was actually more than four hours long. I and mean, it's like that. We had so much material to use, and then, of course, you know, trying to cut that down into what eventually turned out to be still a long film, about 60-something you know, minutes. Uh, it's it's just the most painful process ever. You just keep cutting and cutting and cutting. So yeah, it'd have been nice to have more, uh, but we didn't have the budget for it, nor did we have you know the the space in terms of just you know the the time allowed to us to make a film. You know, you're not going to make a film that's going to be two three hours long because no one's really going to you know be able to sit for that kind of long period. You almost have to make that like a mini series or something. You know, and and that's the. The, the fine line of it. I mean, yes, I felt uh, during the process of, of editing. Is that us? It's not me. That's the uh, get the hell out of here music? No, I don't know. Just gonna keep going. You know, it, it was painful to cut so much material out, but it, the truth of it is, objectively, the film got better as it got shorter, you know, because yeah. we were narrowing it down to that emotional spine of yeah. the, that story that we really that human story that we really wanted to tell and yes we would have liked to have kept a lot of the anecdotes a lot of what, what was uh, jettison yeah. were, were kind of like how to or making of stories but that's for a different film this film is really more about uh, the, the human stories and the culture of mm -hmm. what they were creating and living through yeah um so yeah, I, I I mean honestly now when I watch it I could probably cut another five minutes out of it, <laughs> you know. But I have yeah. more experience. Yeah, you always can so. do that kind of thing. This is a, a photo from uh, the world premiere before it actually came out on disc. We were able to get it into a, a science fiction film festival at the American Cinematheque in Los Angeles, and we actually had a. Uh, this was the first uh, uh, theatrical screening event, and it played on a double bill with was it. War of the Gargantuas? Yeah, War of the Gargantuas. Yeah. And so that was very, very exciting because we actually, uh, I was able to be interviewed on a uh, <laughs> radio station, the local NPR affiliate, uh, the week before, and we got a decent crowd that night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. There's another uh, question here? Yeah. I, I recorded a commentary. I delivered it to them, and they were unable to uh, get the full permission from Toho before they had to go to press. So... Uh, uh, unfortunately, yes, I finished the commentary and delivered it to them, but it was never used. So it's uh, still sitting out there someday to be 
Someday to be heard, I hope. It'll probably show up on YouTube. I predict it. <laughs> I predict it. That's possible. It's really good. Uh, another one more question? Right. This gentleman here. I think one of the ways that they be become aware of the appreciation in the West is through this convention and other conventions like it. I mean, they've been, a lot of these guys have been invited to come over here uh, multiple times uh, over the last couple of decades, and I think that more, more than anything is, and, uh, has you know, introduced them to the Western fandom and how rabid it is. Um, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's events like this or you know, just the fact that we made this film uh, show them that there's, you know, there's a great appreciation for their work. Oh, by the way. So, which is something probably a little different than what they get in, in Japan. So one thing I just briefly wanted to mention, you know, when we were working on this, we were having, you know, discussions about, you know, possibly, uh, there, it's a long time ago, so I don't remember the exact parameters of the talks, but we had talked about maybe trying to get it into NHK or something like yeah. that. Years later, I think within the last four or five years, if you, if you search around on YouTube, there's a, uh, a documentary that aired on NHK that is remarkably similar to this one. <laughs> I wonder where they got the idea. Yeah. Not yeah, and, and, and I, one thing I have to say is, you know, it's been really hard to get this film screened anywhere. The only other screening outside of this that we had was in uh, Montreal a few years back at the Fantasia Film Festival. And the amount of work that they went into, you know, the negotiation that they had to put up with, with Toho was just mind-numbing. And I, I'll never forget uh, Pierre, the, the program manager in, in Fantasia in Montreal, said uh, that, year, that year they had... Uh, secured the world premiere of uh, Tarantino's film, Inglorious Bastards. And he remarked to me, he says, it was way easier to get that film, the pre world premiere of a, a major motion picture from a major director, than to get our film, film uh, shown in the, the film festival in Fantasia. Mm -hmm. Just that there's so many obstacles that you know, we, we had to try to overcome with in getting Toho to allow us to show the film. So we have to exit, but... Uh, yeah. Well, take, well we take one more. Well, this, this the gentleman asked here. me to, to oh, cut it off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cut it. You have to be the last one, buddy. Okay. Stand All right. up. Stand up and be counted. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I would like to, but it, you know, there are other things to do. Anyway. Right. Thank you all very Thank much very for coming. Much. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.